Welcome to another episode of Live from the Blue Seats. I'm your host, Rob, joined this week by Dave and a returning guest host, Russ Hartman. Becky is off this week, but she'll be back uh, for next Wednesday's show. On today's show, the West Coast Swing hasn't been too kind to the Rangers so far, with COVID-19 protocol complicating an already difficult road trip. The ever-changing roster has led to some inconsistent play, but is that the main reason that the Rangers are struggling? Speaking of roster moves, the Rangers made a major one on Tuesday, sending Niels Lundqvist to Hartford and calling up Braden Schneider. Could we see Schneider make an impact at the NHL level? We'll discuss that, uh, and we'll close the show, as we always do, with uh, some fan questions and and hot takes and such. But first, Russ and Dave. uh, First, Russ, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad to be back. Yeah, I think it's my first time recording with Russ. You know, last time Russ was filling in for me, and now he's filling in for Becky. Yeah. Kind of I'm like the guy the, from the Taxi Squad. You can bounce me back and forth. You need me from Hartford. Call me up. Send me back down. It's all good. It's all good. You are a far better option than Jared Tenorti or Libor Hayek. That I will give you. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I don't... Uh, well, who from the blog is our Libor Hayek? Dare we... Are we oh, want to go that route? I mean, God, I, be, that's, throw, I don't know. I'm I don't throwing know fire real early. I anyone with that. <laughs> you know what? I'm just going to go. It's me. I am played way too often. I am heard way too much, and I am by far the weakest link. I j- well, the reason you. why I'm still here is because I pay the bills. Yeah, I don't know if Libor is paying the bills, but um, <laughs> we'll take that comparison anyway. Um, so it has been an interesting you know, week or so for the Rangers, but especially things getting quite intriguing over the last few days. Uh, we'll start, as we always do, by... You know, recapping some of the uh, most recent action now. Now, the Rangers have been on the West Coast starting in Vegas, and now they are in uh, two thirds of the way through the California swing. A lot of late games, uh, some bleary eyes in the morning, some folks maybe not making it all the way through each game. So, you know, I think we're going to kind of be a little bit quick this week in this in this section. Um, not going to focus too much on the Vegas game. Obviously, Gerard Gallant, Gallant, excuse me, and Ryan Reeves made their triumphant return uh, to Vegas. Uh, the Golden Knights actually had a really nice uh, video tribute for Reeves that they played at the first, uh, you know, uh, media timeout during the first period. He admitted to getting very emotional over that, but that was pretty much the highlight of the game. Other than that, the Rangers got absolutely slaughtered. They were never in the game, and it was very much one of those burn the tape and move on affairs. So I think that's all that really needs to be said about that. But, you know, then they turn around and play a really, really good all-around game against Anaheim. So that was Saturday night. I think both, you know, all everybody here had a chance to watch at least most of that game. You know, they hold Anaheim to 13 shots on goal. And then the the ultimate irony uh, is in a game where the Rangers, you know, were dominant, at least in terms of shots on goal. Um, the game winner comes from Jared Tenorti, and then they get the insurance goal and the empty netter, both by Ryan Lindgren. So the the very defensive defenseman popping up with, uh, with game winners. Um, Russ, what were your takeaways from that Anaheim game, which... You know, even uh, I think it's it's interesting because, you know, the L.A. game is so fresh in our minds and we'll come to that in a second and it might have left a bad taste in our mouths. But Saturday night's game in Anaheim was was really solid all around. I think, you know, I don't know if you agree with that. No, it, it was great. And I, I specifically remember waking up the next morning and immediately texting the chat and asking you and Luker, how did they lose the 5v5 <laughs> um share if they dominated with 40 something shots and i just thought that was hilarious that even though they looked so good that still that narrative that they're not like amazing at 5v5 is coming up and uh you know dave i have a question for you i know how's your liver after that tenorti goal my man (sighs) you had to bring that up (laughs) for those who don't know as part of hashtag nyr shot club i was actually watching the game and i was enjoying a few adult beverages, and I tweeted out that if Jared Tenorti scores, we're all taking shots of 151. For Bacardi 151, you know, as Do a people thir- even know what that is anymore? <laughs> I feel like that's such a, like, our generation, mid-aughts college student drink, but maybe I'm wrong. I, I, don't I don't, it's not even a drink, it's less of a drink and more of gasoline, and I... <laughs> He scored, 
And I, I, I'm 37 years old. I don't have 151 anymore. I didn't know what to do. <laughs> so instead, I actually have a bottle of bourbon that my father-in-law gave me that is 65%, 60, 65%, which is 120, 130 proof, which is close enough to Oof. 151 that Oof. I poured myself a glass of that. It was It's good bourbon, so I'm not going to sit there and shoot it. And I sipped on that for the rest of the night, but... That was really fucking stupid. I can't believe he scored. And, and it wasn't even a real goal. It, it, it's, no, I was going to say. It, it's like watching the knuckle puck just spin and spin and spin and eventually get over the goal line. Are you fucking kidding me? Now I got to take... I don't. I, thank God it was one in the morning or else somebody was going out and buying me a bottle of 151. It was <sighs> the stupidest goal of the season. No I doubt. Thought, First I of all, thought. the shot was going three feet wide, I want to say. Um, I think the best part of the goal, if, if we are being honest, and this is one point I did want to bring up, was Philip Heedle was moved to the wing, I think, before that game because of all the COVID protocol and the, the different lineups the Rangers have had to play. And he made a really nice between-the-legs pass, I think, to Greg McKegg. And then McKegg sent it back to the point, and Tenorti took the shot. Heedle was going to the net. I thought it might have hit off him, but it, it hit the Anaheim defenseman. Puck was definitely going wide. And it, it took a, a hard right turn or a hard left turn, I guess, depending on your perspective, uh, and landed in the net, like you said, Dave, barely tri- trickling over the goal line. Russ, you brought up the point about how, even though the Rangers dominated, I'd, I'd say, puck possession, and they had a lot of shot attempts, um, they did not dominate, or, or I think they barely won, if you did the whole score and venue adjusted thing, the 5v5 um, expected goals share. And that was because even though they had a lot of of the puck and a lot of time in the offensive zone, they still weren't generating a ton of grade-A chances. Now they were still missing Panarin for that game. Um, But a lot of their shots were kind of from the perimeter. You know, they had a decent amount of chances. They also racked up. I believe they had 40 shots on goal, and 14 of them were on the power play. So there, again, is the... Um, is the reality of the fact that the Rangers do have, and it's not something to be negative about, by the way, but they have a very good power play that really kicks their offense into overdrive um, and and accounts for a lot of their offensive production at this point. So, you know, I think that's the reason. I, I still don't think this is a game, frankly, where you should get too hung up on on those numbers. I mean, this was a really good game for the Rangers, and I think it, even with Tenorti, who we know is bad, and we'll come on to that in a second, uh, given his performance in the in the LA game uh, on Monday, but um, even with Tenorti out there, this was a very good defensive game by the Rangers. You know, the Ducks did hit a couple of posts; they had some decent chances, but you know, they held Trevor Zegras down. They didn't have to deal with Getzlaff. Also, that that helps. He was on COVID protocol or recovering from COVID. So, I mean, it ends up being a solid win, and I think you know, I think that that's what made the LA game all the more frustrating. But before we move on to that, Dave. You know, what What were your takeaways aside from a hangover from uh, Saturday night? Believe it or not, I didn't have a hangover. I can't believe it. I didn't have a, uh, I don't know. But it, it, this is where I am wary of single game samples of 5v5 battles, even strength battles. It tells a story of the game, but it's not the full story. And if you're watching that game, the Rangers more or less controlled the game. I think it was the second period, which seems to be an issue across the board where the Rangers just kind of forgot to hockey for a period. Was it the second? Yeah, it was. That's so, when Anaheim yeah. did most of, their, most of their work. So, yeah, they played, what, 66% of a hockey game, and that 33.3% showed up on the stat sheet. But it would be nice to see... A little bit more offense out of the top six, sustained offense out of the top six. And this is the same thing I've been going back and forth on. Can we judge a team based off of what's going on right now, where at any given point they're missing two or more key players? Granted, that every team is, but we know the Rangers have an issue at five at five v five. But can you really take the last week and a half, two weeks of games and say, "Yep, they're awful." I don't think that's fair. I don't know, Russ. How do you feel about that? Uh, I don't think that, you know, like like you're saying, Dave, that the the lineups are consistently changing now every day with people going in and out of uh, COVID protocol. Sometimes you're not even sure if you could plan even 
the next game your lineup because of you know people going in and out of this thing even Gerard Gallant himself is in uh, the COVID protocol now with Chris Noblack coaching the team last night and you see even the, the thing with the Rangers is you know they're not winning the even strength battles right now. I mean, and we're seeing this consistently. And I think part of that is you got to get, you know, we were told, again, Booch is gone, rookie's stepping up. Now, you know, you would love to see, as well as Kako's playing, the underlying number show, you know, you would love to see just a few more points go in. Um, same thing with Lafreniere. He actually looked pretty good next to Panarin and Strom. And they, in the first period, just seconds into the game, I mean, ridiculous pass. And, you know, that's the kind of stuff you want to see. And for the Rangers to probably get to that, you know, beating teams consistently at 5v5 or at least being average, I think those two are going to be people that you want to see stuff from. But to that point of the top six producing, I you know, Panarin just got back in, so, you know, you wanted him to get back up to speed. But I really think the key is just putting Lafreniere there in that top six, letting Kako kind of keep getting that confidence, and letting the six of them kind of just let them gel. You know, don't don't mess with this even when everyone's healthy because you spent a second overall pick on one of them and a first overall pick on one of them. Let them cook there. Just, just let it happen. So how do you balance developing them in the top six and working through the struggles of also trying – to build a legitimate playoff run. I mean, they're basic. They, it would take a collapse of epic proportions for them to miss, to miss the playoffs, right. so, well, and okay, it would also I'll take say, Columbus making a run. But I'll say this to you then: Who? What kind of player consistently plays on a line with Panarin and Strom? What kind of player do you normally see there? Uh, Colin Blackwell. Right, right. So someone who can you know go here, do what you're told, dig the puck out, and we've seen that Panarin and Strom with that can each put up seventy points, eighty points, ninety points. Give them a chance to work with someone with an immense skill level and everyone's point totals on that line will rise. And I really think that, you know, we've seen what Lafreniere can do in the bottom six. You really need to, at some point, take the reins off and just, you have to, you can't tell me that what he would produce there is worse than what Dryden Hunt or Colin Blackwell or any of these other guys would do there. Uh, I don't disagree with you. I think he should be in the top six at this point, either on the top line where he played well with Kreider and Zibanejad or on the second line. I did not watch the game so this is releasing Wednesday. I didn't watch it two nights ago, so I don't know how he looked with Panarin and Strom. Uh, but it wasn't great they, on the whole. I'll it, say. Well, I mean, apparently they all were crappy on the whole, right? But yeah, it's right, just right. It, there's still that balance of yeah, he's going. He needs to be in the top six. I think so too. But this is a team that is going to the playoffs and. They're going to make moves at the deadline to solidify holes in the roster. What that means yet, I don't know. None of us know because we have no idea what the hell is in Chris Drury's brain right now. But how, how do you? How do we as fans say, oh, we need them to develop, and now they look like shit playing together for a couple of games. Do we leave them together and let them work it out while they're losing games? I mean, it's a really interesting question. I also think this does highlight the lack of depth because you know what happens in these games is when you start getting hemmed in and 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 that could be your bottom six right that that you know starts with the first bad shift where you can't get it out of your zone you're tired your defensive have been out there especially in the second period which you alluded to dave with the long change and the rangers look everybody is the long change there's way to manage ways to manage through it it certainly doesn't hamper the best teams but the rangers seem to get so hemmed in that even when they do get the puck out, they can't get both of their defensemen off the ice. So you end up with these ridiculous shifts where it's like, you know, Sam Rosen says, wow, Joe, uh, Jacob Truba's been out there a long time. And then MSG has the clock up and it's like Jacob Truba shift, like two minutes and six seconds. And you're like, this is ridiculous. That happened last night and Truba took a penalty. Um, and, and I'm not picking on Truba here because it happens to all of them. It happens to Fox and Lingrid. It certainly happens to whatever their third pair of the night is. So... Um, and the forwards are culprits as well. And I think, you know, what, where the COVID uh, issue has hurt them the most and the injury bug slightly because Hunt has a non-COVID uh, injury. He's just got a regular garden variety hockey injury. Um, right now, their 13th forward is Greg McKegg, which you've pointed out, Dave, is a huge issue. Right now, Greg McKegg is playing regular minutes and he is a net negative on the ice, even more so than Reeves. And I think with Reeves, you take the negative on ice results with what for what he brings from a character perspective, and he's got the ability to 
pop a guy at the right time. He does contribute to uh, some offensive zone time when that fourth line is rolling. We saw that back in November and in, and in the early part of December. So, you know, I don't see Reeves as as much of a black hole as McKegg, where, you know, I think I think if the Rangers are really going to get better, the first thing they need to do is get Greg McKegg out of the lineup and back to Hartford. But the problem there is um, you never know with COVID protocol. You know, he was set to come out of the lineup between the Anaheim and L.A. games, but Barkley Goodrow turns up a positive test. Greg McKegg is back in the lineup. So um, that seems to be a bit of an unavoidable issue. I will highlight, uh, and I don't want to talk too much about the L.A. games, and I'm not talking about that. I should say I'm not talking about the L.A. games specifically here, but the fourth line that the Rangers rolled against Anaheim and kept together in the L.A. game with not as uh, sterling results was that kid line that played together some in Hartford, which was the Brodzinski baron Gettinger line. I think that's a, not a bad idea to, to keep as your fourth line, uh, maybe not moving forward for the rest of the year, but certainly in spots. If you're going to be able to carry these guys around on a taxi squad and have a bit of an expanded roster, that line showed some pretty decent potential. They, they, they were able to hold the puck. They were able to generate some shots. They were throwing some hits. You know, Barron is starting to look more and more like a legitimate NHL player. Um, so I think that's one idea to solidify the bottom of the lineup. But um, it's two things for me when you talk about improving five-on-five play and producing more offense. The top six have to be the top six. And I agree with you both that Lafreniere and Kako should both be there until a trade is made. If you go out and get, and we'll go over some of these names in detail later, Hurdle, Pavelski, even Phil Kessel, you can totally justify dropping one of those guys out of the top six because you're bringing in a pedigreed NHL star, NHL scorer. But until the deadline, let those kids play in the top six and see how it goes. Um, you need the top guys to be the top guys, though. Panarin was was awful in the Kings game, and he was coming back from a, a break, so that's fine. Let's give him a little bit of a of, of, of grace there. Zibanejad's been better. Kreider, Kreider has been fine. But, you know, it's just consistency. It's game-to-game consistency from that top six. And then the bottom six can't be a train wreck. And I'd say over the last, you know, three three weeks or so, the bottom six has been really bad. Um, so I think that's the, that's the issue. Now, the other big issue, and we'll move on to kind of our second, our second segment here. The other issue has been the third defense pair. So since Niels Lundqvist, I believe got sick, I don't know if it was COVID or it was a non-COVID illness. The Rangers have tried five different players in bottom pair roles. You've had Patrick Nemeth, Lundqvist when he got back, Zach Jones, Libor Hayek, and Jared Tenorti. And you're using that the term cer- player relatively loosely here. Like, I'm putting player in quotes <laughs> as you say it. Yes, very much so. Um, and so the Rangers, I think, know that they have not had satisfactory results from their bottom pair. And so today they made, uh, and today on Tuesday, you're listening to this on Wednesday, so yesterday, they made a move. They sent down Niels Lundqvist. They recalled Braden Schneider, uh, Lundqvist, and Ray Uninen, um uh, and Tyler Wall, Tyler Wall as well, were all reassigned to Hartford. So um, this is a pretty uh, this is a pretty big gamble, I think, by the Rangers. And, and obviously, there was a huge reaction among the fan base when this news dropped. So, Russ, I'll go to you first. What was your initial reaction when you heard that Niels Lundqvist was being sent down? Well, I. I wasn't as angry as I thought I was going to be, if I'm going to be honest. Normally, you know, you, you always want the rookies to play, and it's clear that whatever's going on with management and the coaching staff, they they want to get Hayek out there and Tenorti out there. For what reason, I, I really can't tell you. I don't know anything either of them does well. But at the same time, you want Nils to get consistent playing time. And as beneficial as it can be to sit in the press box and take a look at, you know, what can I do here? Um, how can I get back in life and implement these things I'm learning? I think it'll actually benefit Nils to play like 24, 25 minutes a night in every situation down in Hartford for a little bit. And he can always come back up. The Rangers can always recall him. And now we get to we get a look at Braden Schneider, who, when he was originally picked at the time, I wasn't the biggest fan because I really wanted the Rangers to pick Connor Zary from the Kamloops Blazers with that pick. They traded up. I thought they were going to take another center prospect, you know, since, you know, that's kind of the position they needed the most of, and I was really hoping they were going to grab Zary. They grabbed Schneider. I didn't know why they picked another defenseman at the time, but looking at it now, I mean, it's good to have the depth, and this is a kid who it seems like the organization really, really values, and 
he plays a much different game than Nils, bigger, heavier, and I hope he shows us something nice in his first audition on Broadway. Dave, where are you on? First of all, let me let me ask you this: What was your appraisal of Niels Lundqvist through his twenty some odd NHL games? I don't have it in front of me, but you know he played about let's say twenty five thirty games. What did you think of him in from what you saw? And and that it doesn't necessarily you don't need to necessarily pull up the uh, RAPM chart or anything like that. Just as a fan, as someone who uh, followed him as a prospect, what did you see from Niels Lundqvist? I saw a kid that was adjusting. It took him a little bit of time to get used to the NHL. I thought he was starting to turn a corner. He looked a lot more comfortable, especially on on the second power play unit when he got the time there. Uh, I mean, it's tough to say what... He's, I don't know if I'm disappointed or if I maybe had too high expectations of him. But it's not fair to expect a kid to just jump into an NHL lineup despite how good he was in, the, in Sweden. So I thought he was going to produce more. He wasn't really put in a spot to produce more. I thought he was starting to get comfortable at the end. I would have loved to see him away from Patrick Nemeth and... When I say away from Patrick Nemeth, I don't mean downgrading to Hayek or to Nordy. I mean with, like, an actual hockey player. So, I, I don't know. I, I think, I agree with Russ. The His being sent to Hartford is going to be fine for him. I still also stand by my uh, assertion from two years ago and last year that assuming Braden Schneider works out they will keep Schneider over Lundqvist. Lundqvist is trade bait, and Schneider was probably going to be called up anyway if he didn't test positive for COVID during the whole taxi squad thing. That's why it took him so long to call him up. So I, I think this was a move they were planning on doing for a while, and if Schneider works, Lundqvist is gone. I agree, and I think this is something that Ranger fans should begin to reckon with. Um I don't necessarily agree with it. And I think sometimes I may come across as somebody who is, I don't know, maybe shilling for the Rangers or being a little bit too easy on the organization. Um, I often say I don't think they're as stupid as we all make them out to be, um, although they try their hardest to, to prove me wrong. Um, I so, so what I'm saying here is that even though I don't endorse this, I think this is what the Rangers are thinking. I think they just signed Adam Fox to a huge deal. They have Jacob Truba, who they clearly view as a leader and a core piece of uh, this team moving forward. And I think they see a situation where there's nowhere for Niels Lundqvist to optimize his potential. If he's supposed to be, and he projects to be a 45, 50 point defenseman in this league, you need power play time. No defenseman, you know, this side of Brian Leach scores 50 points at even strength. It just doesn't happen, especially if your deployment is third pair, even if it was second pair, even if you in a perfect world, video game world, you were doing even deployment of your defense pairs and you could, you know, roll Lundqvist more often than, uh, you know, than, than Gallant does. He's not scoring that much and he's not going to get the chances to score that much. Now, I agree with you, Dave. I thought he was turning a corner and actually in a weird way, I was just as impressed with his defense, you know, for a guy at his size. He's very small. He was pretty engaged physically. He was able to take the puck away from from bigger players and and start the attack the other way. I, I you know I said we didn't want to necessarily get into nitty gritty numbers here, but um, he and Nemeth did post some decent on ice shot and chance metrics in about you know an eight or ten game span. So I think as a pair they did turn the corner. But as I said, Lundqvist got sick, and then all of a sudden that whole arrangement went to shit. And I think the other issue is that. Rightly or wrongly, the Rangers do not, under any circumstances, want to touch their top four on defense. Now, there are arguments for and against that. I think of uh, with all the five-on-five issues that we've discussed, defense really isn't one of them. No, they are not the best defensive team in the league, but they're average. Um, and, you know, it's kind of this weird thing where, like, Fox and Lindgren will alternate good game, bad game defensively. And then Truba and Miller will alternate good game, bad game defensively. But they're all putting together pretty decent seasons when you when you look at it. Uh and it's enabled the Rangers to, you know, not ask their goalies to make 40 saves every single night, even though those nights do happen with some frequency. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's the thing, uh, Dave, and I agree with you is 
I think people need to be prepared for Niels Lundqvist to get traded as soon as this season in a big deal for a potential, you know, top six, um, you know, winger. Um, and I think we, I think Braden Schneider is is the answer on the third pair in the short term and potentially the long term because his, you know, his size and his, as you said, Russ, his more, um, you know, physical style of play suits what they're looking for on that third pair. He's also he's right-handed. He complements, uh, you know, a left a left-hander like Nemeth. So, um, or Zach Jones potentially. So, I think that's the issue here. But um, yeah, you know. That's the other option here, and I think you know I'd love to get your your thoughts on that as well, guys. You know, Zach Jones. Uh, I, I think I said it last week, but I, I I'm willing to sort of eat some crow on Zach Jones. He Damn was very right, you're good eating in the some two crow. Games he played. Damn right, yeah, you are. He was really good. Uh, <laughs> and yet he's sitting. But Russ, for we didn't Jared get a chance to hear your take on, on Jones. <laughs> well, I yeah. Mean, well, obviously, I I don't. I still don't. I know we're probably going to get to this in a little bit, but still, like. Zach Jones has played so well, I, even beyond my expectations so far, just that he hasn't looked out of place. And for someone in, on his development cycle and where he is and how old he is, that's all you can ask of a defenseman in his position right now. Don't look out of place. Make the simple play. And, I mean, look, if I'm no Black or Gallant or whoever is making this lineup, I really uh, – there's no way you can tell me that putting Jones and Schneider out there as a pair would be any worse than putting Tenorti and Nemeth out there as a pair. There's no justification you could give me to play – two basically cones instead of those two so yeah something worth noting jones and schneider were a pairing in hartford right and they did a lot of rotation remember hartford plays and i don't know how many people are familiar with the way the ahl schedule is structured they've obviously had their own COVID issues but they do back-to-back-to-back sets often in the minor leagues you play friday saturday sunday so if you ever see hartford's lineup they do cycle a lot of guys in and out. Uh, very few guys will play all three games in a row. Maybe the veterans, you know, the the, the older guys who are kind of AHL lifers will, will do those, you know, three three games in three days. But, you know, you're trying to protect younger kids here. Um, so, yeah, you're right, Dave. I think at times Jones and Schneider was a pair, were a pair. I think they were also playing Robertson with Schneider. Um, and, and then Jones, I think, might have been playing with uh, Reuninen. So, um, but Jones was, whenever he was playing, he was quarterbacking the top power play unit. I know that he, he had a bunch of points. He, he was racking up highlight reel goals and assists. You know, if you ever take a look at Ricky Milliner's feed or, or any of the other, you know, AHL, you know, folks out there, um, there's lots of AHL highlights available on Twitter and it's, it's great to kind of see what these prospects can do. Jones had a bunch of eye popping moments. So I'm with you. I'd like to see more of him and, you know, why not? These next two games are against San Jose and Philly weaker opponents than the Rangers have played over the last at least week or so. So maybe that's the right time, especially with, you mentioned Russ uh, Knobloch behind the bench, the Hartford coach, you know, maybe he puts them together and he has that trust because he's seen them firsthand. I just want to add one thing about Lundqvist probably getting traded. I will mutiny if it's for a rental. I don't think it would be. I don't think they're that dumb, but yeah, I I think if they decide to and, like we've been saying, you know, it, it's going to be a tough pill to swallow for a lot of people. And a Twitter is not, not going to be a fun place the day that it happens. It's really, really not going to be. I can already see the takes. But if it's for uh, someone like, you know, if it's for someone like Hurdle or it's for someone uh, who's, uh, or, you know, this is still my dream target, but Forsberg, you know. But if it's for someone like that, okay, I could completely get it. But I'm with you, Dave. If it's for a rental, that's no bueno. What absolutely scares the shit out of me is Vegas is getting Eichel back. They need cap space. And I am looking at their cap-friendly page now. When he's back, they'll need to shed about $5 million. And Marcia So has a $5 million cap. It plays both wings. He doesn't play center, but he plays both wings. And I am looking at that and looking at Lundqvist and looking at Kravtsov. And I'm terrified that they're going to make a deal like that for Marcheseau. And I like him, but not in a trade for an A prospect like that. Uh, That's that's my fear. A a new deal? No, he has two years left after this one at $5 million. And if you trade for him, Strom is gone, by the way. Again. Does he you can't afford it. Marchessault? No. Both wings, no sense. Just a winger. 
Well, I mean, you could put Big Brain GM hat on and then flip him again in the summer if you want to re-sign Strom. You really think Drury's that smart? Uh, he did. Li- he did know. win a Little League World <laughs> Series, though. You know, there, there is that. That's right. Yes, there is that. Um, what I will say, just to close the loop on the Braden Schneider decision, is I do think he'll play. He was added to the active roster. I don't think they're going to call him up and fly him to the West Coast. I assume he's going to meet the team uh, where they are uh, in San Jose. I don't think they are going to do that just to have him practice once and then fly all the way back to the East Coast. Yo, I'd that laugh. That not make any sense. So. I'd laugh if I mean, they what, did what, that. That would be hilarious. I'd have some fun with it. I think the tweet said that he was called up to the active roster, not even the taxi squad. No, it so. did, but that's my but but I mean he could still be a healthy scratch. Oh, that's tr- oh god, that's right. Yep. Oh god. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's my point. I mean, I don't uh, think they're calling yeah, yeah. him in just to practice as the seventh or eighth defenseman and then sit uh, and fly back with them to Philly. Like I just don't think that makes any sense yeah. unless this is some sort of cat maneuver. But I don't think there's any enough money for this to make a difference. Right. So. It'll be interesting to see, and let's look for Braden Schneider to make his debut on, on Thursday night in San Jose. Uh, all right, guys, we were getting into this a little bit already with uh, the potential of Niels Lundqvist being traded, but deadline targets. So with all the issues at 5-on-5, five five, uh, with the issues on the third pair, with the resurgence of Alex Georgiev, let's throw that in there. I would say the Rangers' options for trades are endless. This is about the most opportunity they've had oh also cap space they basically have unlimited cap space they're nowhere near the cap they've been accruing the way the nhl salary cap works they're going to have something like dave you can kind of probably uh at least sense check this number for me they're going to have something like 35 40 million of trade deadline day cap space available to them something Um, like some ridiculous amount of money where they could basically build a whole new team if they wanted to um so it puts them in a really advantageous position to go for it. Now, I think the, the big question, first of all, before we get into names is, and you guys can answer with one word, and I'll, I'll give my opinion as well, but Russ, do you think they should go all in? One word answer. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Yeah, all in, meaning like, meaning everything's on the table. Now, obviously, yeah. there's certain things all are untouchable, in. but like, you are willing to dramatically reshape this roster right now for one run at a Stanley Cup. Yes. Dave? No. No. See, I knew you're you're a contrarian. I knew it. Why not? My no is... It is one of those things where I need more words, but you said one word, so my one word is no. And when we get into why, I'll I'll dive a little bit deeper into it. But no, I don't think they should. Okay. I think they should because of the cap space mainly. I think, you know, that's going to get eaten up so quickly in the offseason. And with all the contracts coming due and young guys needing new contracts, et cetera, that you're going to lose this opportunity very quickly. And you've built enough points, as we said earlier, that, you know, the chances of falling out of the playoff race are basically slim to none. So load up and go for it. Why not? You've got a coach who's done, done something similar before. You know, I know Vegas was an entirely different type of team and different situation, but go for it. All right. So now you've got me interested, Dave. See, you hooked me there. That was very, very effective. Um, you know, I don't know if it's speech writing or oratory, but you now I need bait. to hear your you reason. took the bait. I got the little fishing rod out. You took the bait. <laughs> you baited me. So tell me why and tell all of our listeners why you don't think the Rangers should go all in at this trade deadline. There, I completely understand why you guys say yes. Cap space, Zabanajad, Kreider, not getting any younger, Panera, not getting any younger. And I can certainly be sold on an all in. It comes down to two things. First, the East is an absolute dogfight. I mean, the Rangers have to go through three of Florida. Tampa, Toronto, Carolina, Washington, Pittsburgh. They have to go through three of them. And now Boston is surging and they just re-signed Tuka Rask. They have to go through three of those teams no matter what. Those are your top eight. 
So all I hear is teams below them in the standings, Dave. That's all I hear right now. All I hear, are, all I see right now, are teams <laughs> that they don't match up well against. Washington will pass them in the standings. Pittsburgh is surging, although I do think they match up well against Pittsburgh. But if Washington passes them, they don't get Pittsburgh. They get Carolina or Washington, and I don't think they match up well against either one of them. Or let's say they wind up going to the Atlantic. They get their best matchup is probably Tampa, which is <laughs> right. absurd when you Stanley think Cups. about it. The, the, the two-time yeah. defending Stanley Cup champions is probably the team they match up best against. Toronto is way too deep in terms of their forwards. The We've seen the Rangers' even strength offense is not that good. Florida, I don't know what the hell Florida is, but I'm always... And, and they're great. They're great. Florida's great. Yeah, I'm always scared of the teams I don't know. And Boston, for some unknown reason, always gives us trouble. So it's Pittsburgh or Tampa. Maybe I'll, I'll give some leeway on Carolina, even though I think Carolina wins, because Carolina takes a ton of penalties. I think they're one of the top five teams in penalties taken this year. So That's good to know. I mean, that's because they play so aggressive, though, because I'll tell you one thing, and I said this on the last show, the Rangers are going to play them, what, four times in, in their last yeah. 48 games or however, however many they have left. They are going to be underwater in most of those games. Carolina is going to overwhelm them. They come at you in waves, and they take penalties because they're so aggressive, right? They're, it's not because they're playing a lot of defense. They're probably taking a lot of neutral zone and offensive zone penalties trying to get the puck back, you know, up ice. So I'm scared to death of Carolina. I want no part of them. I totally agree with you on that. So that's reason one. They don't match up well against most of the Eastern Conference. Reason two, I have been very harsh on him all year, and for good reason. I don't trust Chris Drury, period. I don't know what his definition of all-in means, I know what Jeff Gordon's definition is. I know what Jeff Gordon was trying to do. He's He was here significantly longer. We knew that we saw the plan. We don't know what the plan is for Drury. All we know is the only thing that works so far is addressing the locker room issues. The top six is a disaster <laughs> because of his offseason moves. The Rangers don't have a bottom pairing because for some unknown reason they he refuses to waive Libor Hayek or Jared Tenorti, and it was put in my Twitter mentions, I forgot by who, and I'm not scrolling through all that shit to figure it out, that possibly he's he feels burned by Mason Gearston getting claimed by the devil, so he doesn't want to put anybody <laughs> else on waivers, which I, uh, I, there's a part of me that buys that. I think that's absurd, but... Okay. I think it's absurd, but there's a part of me that buys it because, again, we saw what the plan was this offseason was to get punchy and gritty and fix the locker room. One of them worked, the other two didn't. I don't know what Drury wants to do if he goes all in. I don't know who's on the table. I don't know who's on the table for one-year rentals, two-year rentals, or if they're going to try to actually acquire cost control forwards and dump some of their cost control defensemen where they have a strength. If they deal Lundqvist or Jones or Robertson for a rental, that's going to piss a lot of people off. And that is my fear. That's why I don't think you go all in yet. I don't trust Drury. And it could be my own personal fear. I think that's I think that's fair. And I think this is a... This will be the most nervous Ranger fans have felt on a trade deadline day in a very long time. You know, it's always a nerve-wracking day, but this is going to be really bad. <laughs> this is going to be like <laughs> yeah. white knuckles at the computer all day, like just gritting your teeth waiting for some sort of news to hit. So um, I have a question for both of you. What's worse, making trades to making bad trades to go all in? Or doing absolutely nothing. You said what's worse? What's worse. And when I say oh, bad oh. trades, I don't mean like, you know, dealing Keandre Miller straight up for, I, I don't know, um, what's his face? Ben Sherratt. I don't mean things like that. I mean like a, a trade that we know is an all-in dealing top prospects for a one-year rental. What's worse? Two of those trades and the and going all in and it not working or not doing a single thing at the deadline. 
pro oh, I would say the bad trades definitely take precedent of being worse. I mean, you don't want to set yourself back even more by making short-sighted deals. But the you know I'll, I'll let Rob get to it before I get to the reason why I said yes to them going all in. But to your point though, Dave, definitely making the worst trades is probably what you don't want to see. I'd rather them stay pat and rock what they got. But yeah, oh my God, I can't imagine how angry we'd all be if Nils was gone for someone who's not going to be here in three months. Yeah, I agree with that. And you don't want to completely mortgage the future one year into your, let's call it, post-rebuild phase. Because I think, you know, look, any way you slice it, bad 5v5 numbers, you know, some standings points maybe that they uh, stole via goaltending, whatever it might be, they're no longer a rebuilding team. They've got 50 points through whatever, how many games they've played, 35, 36 games. You know, they're 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 right in the thick of a playoff race. People see them as a legitimate team now around the league. I know, you know, we're very hard on them as, as hardcore fans, but, you know, they're seen as a legitimate team. It's like, oh, the Rangers are back. You know, they have the best, one of the best goalies in the league. They have Artemi Panarin. They have Adam Fox. Like, that's a legit team. So, uh, yeah, I agree. You don't mortgage the future uh, in your first year because – Stanley Cup was not the goal or the expectation this year. Making the playoffs was. so, um, But you also can't say mission accomplished until you've actually done that, and the Rangers still do have some work to do in that regard. So, um, no, I, I agree with you there, uh, and, and, and I think standing pat would be fine. I, I mean, I think, look, part of, part of the issue for me as well, and I hate to sound this simplistic, but you know, just going back to some of the issues that this team has had, uh, generating offense, creating chances consistently kind of just comes down to needing to play better there's a lot of guys who are just having off nights too frequently whether that's Artemi Panarin and I know he's had some absences and injuries you know whether that's Alex Georgiev earlier in the year not providing even league average goaltending whether it's the third pair whether it's the you know the Barkley Goodrow types who you know Goodrow's got got he he improved over the last few weeks but he was very much a black hole you know look the Rangers when they execute this Gerard Gallant style they should be a much better team than they have shown to be. And I think it comes down to effort and execution. Uh, as, as hot takey as that sounds, you know, it's it's not dissimilar to when, you know, you're watching an NBA game and it literally just comes down to you have to make your open shots. Sounds really simple, but you are professional basketball players. You have an open three-point shot in the corner. You're supposed to make the shot. The Rangers have a lot of talent. They're supposed to play better than this. And I think they need to just play better. So if they stand pat, what you're basically saying to the group is, we believe in this group in the room, but the only way you guys make the playoffs and make some noise is if you collectively start playing better. So um, that would be uh, the consequence, I suppose, or the outcome of standing pat. So does that answer your question, Dave? Yeah. Yeah, it does. I was just curious to get your thoughts on whether or not they should stand pat or not. I mean, I think that would really disappoint fans. I think, you know, fans are expecting action at this trade deadline. So, you know, speaking of that, Let's throw some names out there. I know we've been doing this over the course of the last, you know, few weeks on the on the show. We can't really help our, ourselves. Phil Kessel's come up, uh, you know, in terms of forwards. Uh, Tomas Hurdle has come up in terms of forwards. Um, but you know, I, I guess, you know, Russ, if you have a dream scenario you want to share with us, I think that that would be a good place to start. And then Dave, maybe we'll come to you for some names maybe people haven't thought of just yet. All right. So, but Russ, tell scenario. me first, what's your dream dream scenario? All right, dream scenario. I pushed the Forsberg agenda last time. We're going to push a different agenda this time. I think if this is a if this is a dream and I can pick any pluck any player right now, uh, it would be tough because they're playing well. But it's been noted that his trade request still was never rescinded. He's just been a good soldier this year. He's been playing well. He's been keeping his head down, and he has been one of the best overall wingers in the entire league this year. And if it's true, and his trade request really was not rescinded. I think Chris Jury should replace one Russian winger with a different Russian winger and pry Vladimir Tarasenko out of St. Louis if he possibly can because, oh my God, you want to talk about a splash? And yes, he can't play center, but, oh man, that would be so damn cool to see Strom flanked by Panarin and Tarasenko or to see what Tarasenko could do next to Zibanejad and Kreider. Like you said, dream, I'm dreaming big. That's That would be my ultimate trade deadline pickup signaling to this group we believe in you. Here's an awesome addition. Go make some noise. I like that. Interesting that his trade request has never been rescinded. Obviously, the Blues are very good. He seems happy there, but 
You never know. I don't know his contract status off the top of my head. It is a big cap hit. I know that. One year, um, another year after this one with a seven point five million dollar cap hit. So at that point, Ryan, you're kissing Ryan Strom goodbye. Which Ryan. whatever, I'm not losing sleep over that. As much as I like Ryan Strom, I think his next contract is going to be absolutely brutal. So I'd rather have Tarasenko for another year. I, I'm with you on that one. Yeah, I agree. Um, and he he's. He would certainly change the the dynamic of the team. And, you know, think about how, you know, and really any addition that they make, you know, like we mentioned, Hurdle, Kessel, Joe Pavelski is another name. Um, I've been on the Ricard Raquel train, although, again, Anaheim's in the race. Um, Any addition they make make lengthens the lineup, right? Because right now, as we talked about earlier, you've got both Lafreniere and Capo Capocago in the top six, which I think is good, both today and just from a hockey perspective, (laughs) but also good for their development. But they're not really there yet. You know, look, we saw with guys like Buchnevich, it took Buchnevich four seasons to become a true top six, you know, forward in the NHL. So these guys might just need a little bit more time, and there's nothing wrong with that. If you bring in a bona fide top six winger, it pushes those guys down to the third line, one of them, most likely Lafreniere, and it makes the Rangers that much more dangerous if Lafreniere can keep up the pace, effort, creativity, and offense that he's shown uh, in the in those few games playing uh, on the second line with Strom and uh, and Barkley Goodrow and then and then the other night against the Kings with Panarin so um, that's what really a, a trade for a forward does it lengthens the lineup makes them deeper and it, you start kicking guys like Hunt McKeg potentially even Ryan Reeves who we all love but he doesn't need to play every game those guys end up out of the lineup as your extra forwards because you have so much talent ahead of them so that is a definitely an ideal scenario. So, Dave, you know, I wanted to kick it over to you because I think you've been looking into some names that maybe should be available, could be available, but that people just haven't talked about, haven't thought of, have not been linked in any media reports, reputable or otherwise. So what are you thinking for maybe an out-of-the-box solution for the Rangers at the trade deadline? So I tweeted this out just before as a little teaser of what we're going to talk about. Winnipeg is seven points out of the of the four spot in the central division. They are technically three points out. uh, They are three points out of the eight spot in the Western conference. If they fall out of the race, Paul Stasny is another one of those guys that can play. That is still driving play. He's a good middle six guy. And if we're talking dream scenarios, I want Stasny and I want Pavelski. They are both going to be significantly cheaper than Hurdle and probably cheaper than Tarasenko. There's no long-term commitment. They can fit both under the cap and they can probably get both of them for minimal roster players. I'm thinking Gautier and a second for one of them and then a prospect and another second, maybe like a Robertson or a Cooley, or somebody of that ilk. Not the top prospects, but you can get these guys for good prospects and second-round picks. You don't have to bleed first-rounders. You don't have to bleed your top prospects. That kind of all-in I'm good for. And now you put Stasny on your third line. You move Heedle to the wing. You put Pavelski on the second line with, uh, with Panarin and Strom. You have a power, a second power play unit that can actually put the fucking puck in the net. And that's what you need. Mm-hmm. You don't need... Nemeth will be fine at your 7D. You figure, out, you figure out the blue line. You push Reeves out. You get your fourth line of Goudreau, Hunt, and Rooney. And that's what your playoff lineup looks like. That's what I want. I mean, sign me up for that. Yeah, I'd be, I, I'd be I w- thrilled. I'll take that. I would definitely take that. If someone put, put something right in front of me right now and said this is what happens, I would take it. Even if it costs more than... Uh, uh, hold on. Gautier off the roster. Who else off the roster would I trade? I, I'm going to get sh- uh, I'm I mean, going to get shot here, but I would trade uh, Keandre Miller off the roster. And I, not in one of these deals. Not one of these deals. Just... In general, I would trade, him. but maybe for a defense. Well, for a defenseman, I mean, they they're so rife with defense prospects, but they clearly want to add more experience. I mean, there's just too much smoke now around this wanting to add another veteran defenseman to the you know to the fold that it's almost guaranteed to happen. Now we can debate the merits of the merits of that, uh, whether or not they need it. 
I happen to think they do because Nemeth just has not panned out. And even though I'm willing to be patient, especially given where they are in the standings, it's not like they're desperately trying to, you know, claw their way back into a race. You can, you can live with Patrick Nemeth, giving him another two, three weeks to figure it out. But, um, I think they want more experience on the blue line. I think that's been a very uh, tried and true NHL formula. I mean, look at some of the names that have won Stanley Cups late in their career. And they play, too. I mean, Jay Bomeister, Zach Bogosian, Braden Coburn, the Lightning tried it with Dan Girardi. I mean, these teams do this, and everybody laughs, and the charts are ugly. But these guys have value Coaches trust them. They put them out there in the right situations. Again, it comes down to proper utilization. You can do that if you're Tampa because Victor Hedman's playing 32 minutes a night in the playoffs, but you need someone to eat 14 minutes. Zach Bogosian's there in the end of your bench willing to do that. I think the Rangers are going to look for that type of player at this deadline. Now, the question is, again, the cost is probably going to be cheap. You're talking second, third round pick, whatever it might be. But I mean, you're talking about trading Keandre Miller, Dave. I think the Rangers love him. I think they're in love with his size and his skating. But in what deal is he going? Like, if they, I, the only thing I think is it's only instance that's acceptable to me is if they bring back Hurdle or Giroux. But then I don't want Keandre Miller going to Philly and torturing the Rangers for ten years. So I might even say no to that. I mean, I would trade him in the right deal. I don't think that he goes at the deadline. I think if anything, that will be a much larger draft day deal but if we're talking deadline you know Jacob Chikrin's name is still out there I don't know how much I like Chikrin I know he's good I know his numbers lead him to be better than what he actually is a lot of his numbers are shooting driven and defensemen don't shoot 18 percent they shoot four percent so I don't know how much of this is Arizona being an app being an ECHL team but I that's a kind of trade that I would move him for or a forward under contract a young forward under contract insert name here yeah where are you on keandre miller ross i want no part of trading keandre miller uh because personally i i think out of it's crazy to say this with all the takes about jacob truba but i really think that keandre miller gets way too much pushback from a lot of people i mean we're talking about someone who didn't start playing the position up until a few years ago and he's already playing top four minutes as a defenseman in the hardest hockey league in the world to play defense in i feel like a lot of people are overlooking this fact and that he's got so much room to grow and the skating ability i mean even in his draft class people were saying he could have been one, like up to the best top skating defenseman in that draft class if things worked out because of his athleticism I think it's way too early to give up on someone like that. And I think exactly what you said, Rob, about him going possibly to Philly and burning us, I would be extremely, extremely hesitant to trade Keandre Miller unless it was for an absolute home run. You know, if that's what, if that's the piece that gets you Hurdle, fine. Okay, and then if you're resigning Hurdle, fine. Okay, I completely understand. But at the end of the day, man, if you get rid of him for something that's not an absolute home run, like, not guessing here, not we're taking a chance on this guy, no. Home run either has the potential to be a star or is a star. I don't think there's any reason to trade Keandre Miller at this time. But there's a difference between trading somebody to get a, a, the right piece that you think is the right piece and giving up on somebody. Trading Miller is not giving up on him. It's recognizing you have Jones, you have uh, Robertson, and you have... Miller, who's a guy that's going to need a second contract, and it seems clear to me that they're going to re-sign Ryan Lindgren. And with that, does Joe, does Miller get too expensive, and do they have to move him, and is now the right time to do it? There's a big right. difference between that and giving up on somebody. I think he's going to go on the Brent Burns career path where he figures it out at around 26, 27 years old. I, well, yeah, I, and you can almost... I'm with you on that. Yeah, I, I'm with you that he... He had he he literally has the size to do exactly that, and I really like I don't know I think that would be one of the people that would be a mistake to to trade him. Right, yeah. I mean, listen, I, I certainly don't think he's going anywhere this season. Potentially draft day, you know, the Rangers are going to have some tough decisions to make uh, with the cap. But you know, focusing on this year, and I, I you know I think that Paul Stastny scenario is a really interesting one Dave and, and that's just a great example of a name we haven't heard much of and and you know the Rangers are, are notoriously tight-lipped in terms of rumors you know very rarely do they make the obvious move at the deadline or the one that's been heavily rumored you know normally they, they run a very tight ship 
um, Glenn Sather, Chris Drury are going to be very, um, you know, strategic about what, if any information they do leak to the, to the press about who they're interested in and the types of conversations they're having. What I will say is this, I think they need to make a move sooner rather than later. And I don't want them to wait all the way until the trade deadline. Um, I I think this team needs help now. I also think if you strike early, you avoid overpaying because, you know, obviously as the deadline approaches, prices go up, you know, teams get desperate to move somebody, you know, if, uh, or they get desperate to add. And so they start offering ridiculous prices for, you know, uh, mediocre players. If you can be proactive now and make a move soon, um, then that's the, that's the way to go. At least make one of the moves because, you know, and, and I'll, I'll, this is all I'll say about this. And then we'll, we'll get to our couple of fan questions and wrap up here. But I think the Rangers need to add three players. And I, I, and I think you guys are sort of going in that direction as well, but it's, it's two forwards and a defenseman. Um, this is just not a complete team yet. There's not enough in the middle of the lineup. The third pair is a disaster until further notice. And yes, it would be great if Braden Schneider stepped in uh, and, and played awesome and was an immediate solution. It'd be great if Jones and Schneider both played great. And that all of a sudden you're like, wow, we have a really cheap all rookie third pair. But, you know, I have my uh, doubts about that being what's going to happen. I think more than likely you're going to be looking to supplement Patrick Nemeth and have another veteran there to sort of help steady the ship and potentially a guy you can put next to Nemeth, not named Jared Tenorti, of course. So we'll see how that all pans out. Uh, I do want to get to it a couple of fan questions before uh, we wrap up here. Just to, um, this one came from JB Sports 22. Um, all he wrote was Schneider time. I think this was right after the uh, Braden Schneider news was announced. And thoughts on Niels being sent down. So we did um, cover this briefly before. I just wanted to echo what you said, Ross. I think you were in agreement, Dave. I do think it's good for Niels Lundqvist to go play minutes in Hartford. Um, just play all situations. Get more and more used to the um, NHL, uh, you know, uh, the, the North American ice size and style of game. I think he's got a good coach down there and Chris Knobloch to learn from when Knobloch returns to Hartford. So... Um, any other thoughts from you guys on Schneider and Niels before we go to the next question? I think Dave said it best before when he said that he kind of had a little too much expectations for Nils coming into this season. And I think that's accurate for me as well. You know, judging from everything he was doing over in the SHL, I, I thought he was going to put up, you know, more like more numbers than he has already. I mean, and, and I think he's looked fine. But I thought we'd see more of an offensive pop from him based on his prior, you know, line of work. And you know what? The fact that we haven't, like we've been saying, it's okay. Let him go down there, you know, pop a few goals, get some assists, run that power play like we know he can do, like we've seen over in Europe. And I'm sure he's going to be back or, you know, like we've been saying, maybe not, but we'll see. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think barring a trade, he'll be back this season. I mean, that's the other thing. I think people get too worked up over this stuff. It is very normal for a rookie in the National Hockey League to... A, not play 82 games. It's okay that they're healthy scratch. It does not mean that your organization is broken and that you don't know how to develop players. Uh, And it's normal for them to get sent down. And, you know, again, I'm not a big fan of his. None of us really are. But but I I do think that it was a good point by David Quinn when he was always asked about when guys got sent down. He'd say, well, what's the point of having a minor league team? Like the whole point is that you send guys down to work on certain aspects of their game or just get more minutes and develop. And it often pays dividends. I mean, you know, Ryan Lindgren is a shining example. You know, the Rangers often get dinged, rightfully, for not being able to to develop prospects. But Ryan Lindgren spent time in Hartford and came out a better player for it. And then, you know, you have the opposite situation with Vitaly Kravtsov not really wanting to spend any time there. And he's now in in Russia and no one knows what his NHL future is. So, you know, look, you have a minor league team for a reason. By all accounts, Hartford is a very well-run operation now. I think Chris Drury does deserve credit. He rebuilt that organization. Chris Knobloch was a good hire. There, there are adults running the show there. It's not the dumpster fire it was four or five years ago. So it's a solid place for young players to go uh, develop. So I, it, it is not a disaster that Niels Lundqvist was sent down to Hartford. Um, am I missing anything there, Dave, or do you want to move on? So on Braden Schneider, the one thing that I don't think we've discussed yet is what— Gallant wants to have on his bottom pair 
which is a complement to a Jones type or a Lundquist type, which is a bigger body. I know that the easy out that I've fallen victim to is, oh, he doesn't want to play two rookies together. It just so happens that Jones and Lundquist play a very similar style. Jones, I think, has looked better than Lundquist. And it probably has a lot to do with the AHL time he has. And frankly, that's you know why Lundquist spending time in the AHL will be fine. But I think if we get to a Jones... Schneider third pairing, and this assumes Schneider plays well enough in the NHL to stick. I think that's your third pair, and you don't need to trade for a defenseman. You may eventually need to dump Patrick Nemitz's contract, but that shouldn't be too hard. But I think that's something that we haven't really spoken about is the style of play that Gallant wants to have on his third pair, and it includes somebody like Schneider. That's yeah. why that's why no, that's Tenorti's point, still man. here. Right. Well, and I also do think that I do think that um, I I do think that uh, it is a it is a a stylistic issue. And I think, yeah, they felt that Jones and Lundqvist were just redundant, both undersized, both puck movers, like you said. So, yeah, no, that's a a fair point. Um, Okay, so here's our last question from Duncan Fairweather at Dunk, D-U-N-C, Fair, F-A-I-R. Nemeth and Tenorti are the Hitchcock and Scully. I had to look that up, by the way, because I'm not up on it, but that is a Brooklyn Nine-Nine reference. I have never watched that show. I have no idea what that means. Supposed to be hilarious. Supposed to be hilarious. I've I've heard nothing but good things. And I love Andy Samberg, so I really should check it out. Um, So anyway, he says they are the Hitchcock and Scully of the NHL. They're laughably bad. What drugs are the Rangers management on that could explain not only playing these two turds, but playing them together to magnify the sun. It's a great question. So glad we asked that question. We, we read that question on, on the show here. Uh, Dave, I'll let you go first on that one. So the answer is what we had said a lot about Tanner Glass and et cetera, et cetera. There's some kind of blackmail going, or maybe it's just they knew the hashtag NYR shot club thing was going to make a joke out of Tenorti scoring and then Tenorti scores and they're just honestly trying to give us alcohol poisoning at this point um that's all I got there's there's no logical reason there's blackmail or they're trying to kill us like the way they did with the mean tweets video that they never fucking released (laughs) I I mean what really what what else is there to say that we haven't said at this point on the show I mean it, Jared Tenorti should not be in the NHL. I mean, it's it's get it, it's just ridiculous whenever you see his name on a lineup card at this point. And it, it there there is no there is no reason. And I think I I test Twitter and and grit Twitter and stats Twitter whatever. We can all come into agreement on this at least that Jared Tenorti and Patrick Lemmon should never be paired together, and that the Rangers would be much better off having a Zach Jones, Braden Schneider third pair. Yeah, I mean, the, what I will sort of add, and not to you know be overly serious because the question was just too funny, but this has been a historical problem, you know. And you mentioned Tanner Glass, Dave, but the Rangers, you know, from a management perspective, because it's been multiple coaches, they have historically over the last 10, 15 years had trouble evaluating defensemen. And you know, some people chalk that up to lack of analytics. I don't think that's nece- you know an analytics department. I don't think that's necessarily the case anymore. Um, it, you know, we could argue or, 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 or get into, uh, you know, a deeper debate about the types of analytics they're using or, you know, all that stuff. But um, I don't think it's that. I just think they still overvalue size and hitting. And in Tenorti's case, the face punching, um, they overvalue the, the, the character aspect when they sign some of these guys to, to bigger contracts. So this does seem to be a bit of a blind spot for Rangers management. Um, and you know what? The one constant there has been Glenn Sather. So, and, and, you know, I hate to be the guy who always comes back to Glenn Sather because, you know, I don't think he's like behind the curtain trying to run this franchise into the ground. I think he's, you know, roughly serving in the role that as an advisor to James Dolan, as as uh, he, it's been described since he stepped away from the, the GM position a few years back. But um, they have had a blind spot for years now in this regard. They have always had essentially a, a, a black hole or two on defense that they keep around that they keep putting in the lineup that that does end up being detrimental to the team. So maybe one day they will see the error of their ways and fix it. But for now we are, there is always the specter of the possibility of a Jared Tenorti uh, and Patrick Nemeth third pair. So hopefully that does not 
remain the case too much longer. Hopefully that's not the case on Thursday and we do see the uh, long-awaited debut of Braden Schneider. So um, guys, this has been an absolute pleasure. Russ, thanks for joining the show. Uh, any final thoughts before we sign off? Hmm. Uh, sure, I got one for you. I really, truly hope we see some awesome stuff from Braden Schneider and everyone that did have doubts about him and, you know, is, is upset about Nils quickly forgets to be upset and just gets excited about what this young physical kid can bring to the blue line. Dave, anything from you? Uh, I'm just going to go with you can't teach an old dog new tricks and the only way the Rangers get better at evaluating players and filling out the bottom half of the roster is either by jettisoning some of the older talking point head people, whoever that may be. I'm not naming names because my next point is going to be a little bit morbid or they just have to die. Um, And I mean that because they're like 85 years old at this point. Everybody dies. Sorry. We all, we're all going to die at some point. So that's the only way it's going to happen. I, I mean, I can't think of a more appropriate way to end the show. I mean, you know, folks, the New York Rangers, we're all going to die. <laughs> put, put, put it on the, the playoff shirt. Let's go. We're all going to. You know what? I, I mean, most of the fan base feels like they're going to die during those games anyway. So why not? Right. I mean, what was the old joke on the graph, Dave? Right. We, we may win, but I may die. I still love that. That's still the greatest way to represent any kind of analytics is we may win, but I may die. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. So no, this is a fun, a fun show as always guys. Uh, Russ appreciate you coming on. Yeah, Dave, always a pleasure. Me. And we will see everybody next week.